One evening in 1980, when I'd already had my own brief moment of pop infamy, my dad and I were talking with Joe Loss's former singing star Rose Brennan and dancer Lionel Blair in an area curtained off from a hotel ballroom in Lancaster Gate. On the television monitor, I could see Mr. Loss conducting his band in a style that was familiar from my childhood. He still shot the point of his baton to the floor and then to the ceiling with one sharp flick of the wrist. With his little finger daintily extended, he still bounced vigorously up onto the balls of his feet and then back down to his heels, a strand or two of hair breaking free. Although his once pomaded black had now turned silver, our production assistant tapped me on the shoulder and said, Remember when Eamon introduces you, just say what we've agreed, or you'll throw him off completely. Eamon was the former sports commentator, Eamon Andrews. He was a man with an impressive build of a boxer who'd had a career on Irish radio before making some of his first appearances in England with the Joe Loss Orchestra and then going on to be the presenter of several long-running television shows. He was most famously the host of This Is Your Life, a show that had begun in the late 50s and was now entering its second decade on the air since the revival in 1969. For those of you who don't call the show, Eamon would stalk up to some prearranged ambush location, clutching a big red book stamped with the show's title, and surprise his quarry with the dramatic announcement that they had to cancel whatever was planned for the evening because tonight, this is your life. The victim was then usually whisked in a fast car to a television studio where their family and friends would arrive through an archway preceded by a fanfare and an introduction that went something like this. He was the choir boy who sat next to you in chapel and put live frogs down your cassock. You haven't seen him since 1932, but he's here tonight. Cue laughter and tears and a gentle, somewhat selective telling of a life story. On this occasion, the trap was ready set as Joe Loss was playing a dinner dance in honor of his 50th anniversary in show business. The comedian Spike Milligan entered the green room with a few minutes to spare. I hadn't realized he had any connection to Joe Loss as his radio fame from his days on The Goon Show and his books Pacoon and Adolf Hitler, my part in his downfall, seemed to come from different universe. But it turned out he'd made some of his earliest appearances with the band during summer engagements in towns like Bridlington. We all huddled around the television set to witness the big moment of surprise. Eamon Andrews slipped from the shadows as the applause from the previous number tapered off. A few giggles and gasps almost gave the game away. The penny would usually drop with, This is your life, victims. The moment they saw Eamon coming their way, some would back away in mock alarm. 
others laughed hysterically or shed some tears. A few even fled the scene completely and refused to take part, which is perhaps why the show was no longer broadcast live. In a split second, before even tapped Joe on the shoulder, a piercing goon voice called out, A thousand pounds for anyone who warns that man! If this was audible to the diners beyond the curtain, it was quickly swallowed by applause and cheering. The details of the Joe Lost story told that night had been fairly sketchy to me until then. He even recounted how Joe had studied the violin and in the early 30s began leading a small group at the Kit Kat Club called the Harlem Band, a strange name for a group fronted by a man born to Russian immigrants in Spitalfields. He'd given the wartime heroine Farrelin, her first radio broadcast in 1935, had played at Princess Margaret's wedding, and then went on to provide music for several generations of lovers and dancers at the Harris Smith Palais, the Lyceum, and Emperor Ballrooms, and on the radio, Rose Brennan, my dad, had probably been his best-known singers, so it made sense for them to be surprise guests at the party. They were reunited with Larry Gredin, who still sang with the band. He was a strapping man with a slightly stiff romantic charm and wavy blonde hair. It may not have been his own. He and my dad had been good foils in the comedy numbers, not least of all, because of all the difference in their height. I have a publicity photograph of them dressed in striped vaudeville blazers and clutching straw boaters with matching hat bands while earnestly gazing at their boss, who was posed imparting some important detail about the performance of some long, forgotten novelty song while holding a pencil. My dad was announced to the stage first where he told some silly tale from his time with the orchestra. Then it was my turn to enter. Eamon adopted his familiar style of setup, which I must now paraphrase. You may remember him as that young man who sat up in the balcony of the Hammersmith Ballet. Now he's the pop star responsible for the hit record, Oliver's Army. You know him as Declan, son of Ross McManus, and he's here tonight. Come in, Elvis Costello. It was as bizarre an entrance I've ever had to make. If I'd had to traipse down one of the gold-painted staircases that framed the Hammersmith Palette bandstand, I could not have felt more peculiar. During my dad's time with the band, Joe Loss had never spoken to me. As if I were a child, he always addressed me as a young man, seeming kind, engaged in anything I said in response to his questions. Now he was just as gracious and composed upon meeting me for the first time as an adult. I can't recall exactly what story I told. Probably the one you've just read about me visiting the Hammersmith Palais matinees. He seemed to take pride in my success, as if he had suspected it would happen all along. It was all over in a flash, just like life itself.